Greetings and welcome everyone to another episode of the Needle Drop Podcast, a weekly roundup of our best segments and reviews from the Needle Drop channel on YouTube and the Fantano channel on YouTube. This week we will be delivering unto you new album reviews of the latest releases from Tim Hecker, new ambient album that's pretty sweet, the return album of Lil Wayne, The Carter Five. We're also talking about the latest Lupe Fiasco album, Drogas Wave. Also the new uh, Logic record, Young Sinatra 4, the boom bap centric and final installation of the Maryland rapper's Young Sinatra series. And I will also be talking about one of my favorite pop records of the year, the latest Caro Caro Benito album, Time and Place. I'm also taking on new track reviews from Anderson Pack, who has a great new single out with Kendrick Lamar. And Jaden Smith has a Dragon Ball Z-inspired new single that I'm going to be talking about too. So let's get into it. Uh, Anthony Fantano, reviews, reviews, reviews. Ba-bam. <sighs> and it's time for a review of the new Tim Hecker album, uh, Konoyo. This is the newest album from Canadian native, experimental music super producer, and the creator of my favorite album of 2013, Virgins. Tim Hecker. He has returned to his longtime label, Cranky, to release his ninth full-length album, Kanoyo. Definitely one of my most anticipated albums of the year, especially since Tim has produced some of my favorite records in the ambient and drone genres. Although I've had my issues with those accurate but not entirely descriptive labels for Tim's music. While Tim's albums from Haunt Me All the Way to Love Streams do have a particularly droney quality about them, with many vast evocative soundscapes that just wash over the listener's mind, and have taken on numerous shapes over the years, whether it be the bright and overwhelming walls of sound on an imaginary country, the apocalyptic piano dirges of Rave Death 1972, or the blurry and blissful fuzz of Love Streams. But the very active and engaging sound play and compositional elements of Tim's tracks always read to me as being a bit more than just drone, with many of his tracks featuring some pretty compelling melodies and chord progressions, direct and to-the-point song lengths, especially on Virgins. I wouldn't say Tim's music exactly hangs in the background plainly either, as many of his best albums up until this point have uniquely and successfully straddled the line between direct and abstract ideas, creating these strange but riveting sonic vignettes that typically weave together into a pretty cohesive and otherworldly experience as an entire album. Though I would argue this new record over here is kind of a change of pace for Tim, in that comparatively I think it's a bit more of a challenge, a bit more abstract, a bit more formless than a bulk of the material Tim has released over the years. Rather than hitting audiences with an experimental but brief and to the point idea, he really lets the open spaces on this new set of tracks speak for themselves, with him embarking on song lengths not often seen on Tim Hecker albums. With a few songs near 10 minutes, the closing track is 15 minutes, the entire thing is 7 tracks long and rounds out at about an hour. Tim does really give himself quite a bit of time to explore the musical and sonic themes he sets up for himself on these tracks, removing the strong sense of urgency and direction that his albums are usually known for that set him apart from many other artists in the ambient genre. In a way, I think Kanoyo lives up to that genre label more than many other albums in Tim's discography do, which by no means is necessarily a bad thing. With the overall sound 
sound of this album. I think Tim does embark on a slightly different style and aesthetic. Overall, I would call the vibe of this record alien, very clean and pristine for the most part, and deliciously dystopian. Sure, while this album is moody, it certainly doesn't sound like the end of the world like some of... <laughs> Tim's best albums do. And while it is textured, I wouldn't call the sounds on this album harsh or distorted or super abrasive. On top of that, consider that this album was recorded in a temple just outside of Tokyo, Japan, with an ensemble of Japanese classical musicians. And I'm not talking about Japanese musicians playing Western classical music, but Japanese musicians playing Japanese classical music. And this traditional Japanese instrumentation does turn up on this record quite a bit, and greatly influences the overall overall sonic aesthetic of this thing at some pretty pivotal points. Now, musically speaking, I wouldn't go as far as to say Tim has turned a new leaf or anything, as he packs the songs on this album with the beautiful, eerie, and bittersweet chords, harmonies, and melodies that he's pretty much known for at this point. Even though there is a different instrumental delivery method on this thing, and a sharp recording where each drum and string and glitchy synthesizer and drone can be heard with crisp clarity, this album for Tim Hecker fans should sound like pretty familiar territory. There are a handful of moments on this album where I find the sound palette of these tracks to be a little underwhelming and not quite as refreshing as I would have hoped given the new setting and the collaborators Tim brings onto the album. On moments like In Mother Earth Phase and Is a Rose Petal, I wouldn't say the compositions on these tracks are just indirect, they're kind of aimless. Which wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing if the sounds or the instrumentation on these cuts were a bit bolder, just had more to sink your teeth into, but the ideas sonically and musically are pretty faint, even during the emotional peaks of these tracks. I don't really find the glacial and seamless synth drones on the track Sodium Codec Haze to be that engaging either. That being said though, I do think on some of the tracks, Tim does manage to make some very bold musical statements. I have really come to enjoy the plucky, glitched, and fractured lead melodies of the track Keyed Out, even if I do think the instrumentation doesn't really come together into a supremely cohesive way on this track. In fact, I would say that's part of the appeal of the song, at least after I've listened to it so many times. It's like every sound is doing everything it can to just not come together, and yet it's all creating this incredibly potent, moody space very successfully. A similar sound palette comes together on the song Death Valley, but in a much more cohesive composition. The way the song's echoed chords and bass notes kind of bounce off of one another as if they're kind of tumbling down into a cavern. The track is like dark, blissful ear candy. It's gorgeous. It's sublime. And some of the synth passages on this track, too, sound like something out of a, a soundtrack to a, a desolate landscape in the 1980s, like, you know, a 1980s sci-fi film. The song This Life, in my opinion, is a really gratifying opening track. Almost sounds like a better version of the electroacoustic experimentations that ended up on Tim and Daniel Lopatin's collaborative record, Instrumental Tourist. The track features these strange, high-pitched harmonies that are constantly ascending and descending. It sounds like they're literally melting in the mix. Pair those sounds with dark synth bass and some very strange, eerie lead melodies, and it's it's a wonderful sound. The song Across Anoyo is a somewhat intriguing finish to the album. It has multiple passages to it, a light drone, 
some odd instrumental samples and clips, some freaky and almost unpredictable synth melodies that are really distorted, really fuzzed out, a fuzzy, distorted, heavy drone that kind of loses weight over time and eventually gives way to another set of very high-pitched harmonies ringing out into oblivion. The transitions between all of these portions are kind of sudden, a little awkward, don't exactly build up that much tension or momentum, it just sort of seems like Tim is flipping from one sound to the next, though. I do find the, the timbres of the instrumentation do be kind of intriguing, and it does have a strong mood to it. Overall, I would say Kanoyo it's a pretty decent album and a somewhat interesting attempt at bringing some new sounds and ideas into Tim Hecker's catalog. The fact that the compositions on this thing are a bit more vast and open, yes, it's a change of pace and maybe not my favorite approach for Tim to take, but I feel like the, the gravest misstep that this album makes is in its handful of moments, because there aren't that many tracks on this record, the instrumentation can come off occasionally kind of bland, lifeless. The sounds just ain't that bold. And really sit in these lengthy cuts and soak them in is something I think I would be much more excited to do if Tim's sound play were just a tad bit sharper. And it is on some of the tracks here, but uh, on at least several of the cuts, a little underwhelming. And with Kanoyo featuring just seven tracks, far fewer than many other Tim Hecker albums, that means a lot of eggs are being put into fewer baskets. All that being said, though, I don't think it's a bad album. I think it's pretty decent, and most certainly hardcore fans are going to love this no matter what. I'm feeling a decent two strong six on this one. Transition into the next review. It's here. It's here. It's finally here. It's here. It's, it's here. here. Finally here. And it's time for a review of the new Lil Wayne album, The Carter Five. This is the long-awaited fifth installment in Lil Wayne's The Carter series, an album Wayne has been waiting years to release, has been teasing for a long time now, after an incredibly dramatic series of ups and downs between Wayne and his former collaborator, business partner, and mentor, Birdman. Wayne and Birdman actually just wrapped up a lengthy several year legal battle, which ended in Wayne now fully owning Young Money Records. So now with Wayne in full control of the label, he is free to release music on that label as he pleases, and thus the Carter Five has arrived. Now, back in 2012, when Wayne was originally announcing the Carter Five, uh, he simultaneously was talking about this potentially being his last album. Not sure if calling it quits is still the plan at this point, especially since he hasn't exactly been quiet on the music front during his inability to release C5. He came out with the Free Wayne album, a T-Pain collaboration, a Two Chains collaboration, the sixth installment of his dedication series, and also the No Ceilings 2 mixtape, not to mention the reception of C5 so far among fans and publications, has been pretty positive. In my opinion, Wayne's return on this record has served as a reminder of the deep ripples of influence that he still has on new artists today, from Young Thug to Little Uzi Vert, Kodak Black, Drake, and of course, Kendrick Lamar. And I say that because Wayne is kind of back in rare form on this new album, reminding listeners of what made him so compelling as a rapper in the first place. Lots of inventive and hilarious one-liners and wordplay, infectious flows, a very creaky voice and odd personality, and a knack for melody and topical songwriting when he wants to focus on it. And there is a fair deal of all of that 
throughout C5. But maybe this album is taken to the point where it sort of wears out its welcome as the entire project is about 23 tracks long and almost 90 minutes. And even though Wayne is historically a pretty versatile artist, I don't know if he's the kind of artist that can truly fill up 90 minutes of engaging material. Just kind of seems like he's giving into the trend of overloading your records with too many tracks to rack up those streams. Although in this case, I kind of understand Wayne's situation considering how long it's taken to get this album out. Maybe there was just a lot of material buildup because if he had dropped this album in 2014, there are definitely a good chunk of tracks on this thing that, that would not have even existed to be placed onto this record. Like the song Let It Fly featuring Travis Scott, which considering the song pretty much features Travis's trademark sound is very trippy, psychedelic trap style, pretty much sounding like something off of his 2015 record Rodeo or his next record Birds in the Trap the year later, there's no way this track could have been on this album had Wayne originally released it in 2014. And even though the track is a little much thanks to Kendrick's over-the-top performance, the song Mona Lisa pretty much sounds like Kenny right in the midst of the Two Pimp a Butterfly era, mostly due to his flow, his vocal inflections, and his sheer willingness to get right into character in the song, as Kendrick pretty much plays the victim of a setup chick set onto him by Wayne. And I do want to mention that even though this song for me at first was a little weird and off-putting, I have come to appreciate Wayne's flow and performance on this track a lot more. It's pretty intense and impassioned. Meanwhile, the track Start This Shit Off Right sounds like a very smooth radio-friendly relic from the Bling era. Never mind 2012, if you told me this track was recorded in 2005, I might believe you, especially since Wayne took the time to dig up Mac Main and Ashanti on this thing. It's kind of catchy, has a very high nostalgia factor, not exactly the best track on here though, and lyrically underwhelming in comparison with a lot of the other cuts here. The song Open Safe also has a similarly dated and stale style. Still though, the Carter 5 does have a lot of fire tracks on it, many of them appearing in the first leg of the album. The song Don't Cry featuring Tentacion, a haunting and surreal starter song to the album with Wayne pretty much rapping about his life, his mortality. I've never really been a huge Tentacion fan, but I do have to say I was pretty impressed with how he took it to the emotional limit on the chorus of this cut, as his singing is pretty chilling. The song Dedicate is Wayne sounding more charismatic and energized than ever. Over a very funky trap instrumental with a piano emphasizing the upbeat, Wayne pretty much delivers relentless flows, lots of playful bars, funny and quirky references. I love that one line he busts out on this thing where he says something like, give me time, I'm the bomb. Also that series of bars where he continues to come back to the word rock, but in different contexts and shapes and forms. It's it's all pretty sharp and witty. The song Uproar with Swizz Beats, banger alert, banger alert, whoop, 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 banger alert. Holy crap. The screaming crowd samples on this thing, the twangy ringing melodies, the kick clap patterns. This beat thumps and Wayne's flows are pretty great. Not that they're super flashy or super fast, but they hit a great groove. This thing is especially satisfying considering how much of a dud the recent Swizz Beats single featuring Wayne was. I was kind of assuming that this track would give similar results. The aforementioned Let It Fly with Travis Scott is a highlight on the record. Wayne and Travis, 
I wouldn't say they go down new territory or anything, but they certainly complement each other really well with their respective styles. And then there's Dark Side of the Moon with Nicki Minaj, which unfortunately is not the lyrical onslaught that it could have been given that it's Wayne, given that it's Nicki, but instead this track is a very moody and intergalactic love song. That's actually not that bad. I mean, the lyrics are pretty flowery and compelling and pretty, the chorus is very glossy and the vocals soar and pair with each other really well. Wayne and Nicki harmonize quite nicely. I really do think Wayne puts his best foot forward on this record. However, it doesn't take him that long to create a lull on the album with a series of very forced and formulaic slow jams and a couple of filler tracks, like the song Problems, which pretty much sounds like a plain trap number where Wayne is vocally and lyrically riffing. His performance seems pretty sloppy and unkempt, not nearly as laser-focused and electrifying as some of the other cuts here. The song What About Me is an attempt at a very glitzy and heartbroken trap ballad with these artificial glossy lead vocals that sound absolutely sanitized and horrendous. Wayne's cringeworthy cries on the song for affection don't really make swallowing the track any easier. Uh, what about me? Open Letter is another interestingly introspective moment for Wayne on the album, but the song pretty much feels structured like a diatribe about some pretty urgent issues, death and his depression and his children, but without a strong instrumental and a strong song to carry it, the message kind of loses impact. The momentum on the album kind of picks back up around the Snoop Dogg track. The feature on that cut is pretty great, but the whole record never really regains the consistency that it had in its initial moments, even though it does continue to dish out highlights here and there, like the cold-blooded banger Hit Is, which almost sounds like something Drake could have done on If You're Reading This, but Wayne brings so much more edge to this track. The beat is incredible, too. Speaking of which, where, where is... Drake on this record. Where is Drizzy? We need Drizzy. We need Champagne Poppy on this thing. Regardless, I think the song Used To is also pretty hard-hitting and fantastic. Also took his time, which is this loving track about fate and God and Wayne essentially being thankful to, to, to a higher power for taking, taking, time on him, which is a pretty touching sentiment. Also, the track features a, a winning vocal line, which pretty much makes the entire song. And then the album has a triumphant, somewhat feel-good closer, where yes, Wayne does seem to face death and talk about how Essentially, right now, he's he's kind of living a second life. He's come back. But the song's ultimate message is kind of about him persevering and letting all of the bad things in his life, as long as he continues to push, uh, just work out. The issue, though, in the second half of this album, as many great moments as there are, each fantastic track on this thing is met with a somewhat mediocre or underwhelming one. The song Mess lives up to its title for completely unintended reasons. The song Demon features the most awkward application of a flow on the entire album, especially during its initial moments. I can see what Wayne technically was trying to do, playing off of the groove of the beat and fitting into the tempo in an odd way, but it just sounds really awkward and out of place. Overall, I think this album is a decent comeback for the Carter series. It's certainly better than the Carter 4, and actually surpasses a good deal of the commercial material that Wayne has been releasing since the Carter 3. That is not exactly a super high bar to jump over, though, and given how long this album is, it's pretty inconsistent and very much a mixed bag in terms of sound, style, 
quality. I can appreciate that Wayne tried to bring a lot of variety into this album to prevent it from being boring, and for the most part, I think that works. But the whole thing is really too inconsistent to be enjoyed from front to back, and the best moments of this album leave a diminished impression because they're surrounded by so many tracks that are just okay. I'm feeling a decent two strong six on this thing. Transition into the next review. And it's time for a review of the brand new, uh, sort of new, Lupe Fiasco album, Drogas Wave. This is the newest full-length LP from Lupe Fiasco, a quick follow-up to last year's Drogas Light Project, which for some reason feels way further in the distant past than it actually is, but... Yeah, just came out in 2017. I did not love the first installment of Drogas, but um, I thought there was a lot of good material on it. It certainly surpasses what Lupe has delivered during the dregs of his career, Lasers and uh, Food and Liquor 2 and Friend of the People. But since releasing his conceptual and multi-phased Tetsuo and Youth a handful of years ago, Lupe has been back on, on a nice, consistent, quality level, so I was definitely looking forward to this new album over here. Lupe's past missteps, though, still do haunt me to this day, so I did go into this new album a little worried about a few different things. Will Lupe pick good instrumentals and featured artists on this album? Will he avoid the annoying and sanitary glitz of some of his past and worst records? And with this album being even longer than Tetsuo and Youth, like an hour and 40 minutes, Will every track on this thing be great? Because yes, this album is yet another huge undertaking from Lupe for his fans with 24 tracks. And unfortunately, this album doesn't really have a grand concept pulling all of these songs together or numerous phases to separate them into various parts. It just sounds like a collection of various tracks. And personally, I wasn't really all that compelled by Lupe's Twitter explanation that the record is kind of a double album. I mean, it certainly explains how the first half of the record has a stronger narrative and set of themes to it than the last half, but it doesn't change that the record loses focus at one point after a little vocal snippet interlude. Sonically and stylistically, it's kind of all over the place, even if on a lyrical level, Lupe does continually return to themes of racism and injustice, the African-American experience also motivation and self-preservation. On the front cover of this record, Lupe depicts a manila bracelet casting a shadow. These bracelets were actually used as a form of currency for purchasing slaves, a subject matter that Lupe explores on several of the most powerful tracks on this record. Wave Files, Gold versus The Right Thing to Do, and Manila. There's also the Slave Ship interlude, which is this eerie, beautiful, and weepy violin piece that lasts a bold three minutes and is a, a very unique inclusion into a hip-hop album. Any hip-hop album. My general view on the production on this record, though, it's pretty sick. Lupe makes a lot of great beat choices on this thing. Whether he's hopping on top of layered, jazzy instrumentals with kind of an old-school flair, or maybe even some spacey, psychedelic, or mystical trap, the sound of this record is not that bad. I'm not going to say the production on this thing is futuristic or cutting-edge or inventive. It's not. But it's certainly tasteful. I guess it's a bit more layered and thoughtful than a lot of the more generic trap beats that you may run into out there these days. And it certainly provides a very very colorful and dramatic platform for Lupe's lyrical concepts. It gives them a bit more urgency, 
weight, a sense of emotional significance. I will say this thing is 24 tracks, so there are at least a couple of spots on this record where I think the instrumental really ruins the appeal of the album and Lupe's lyrical efforts, like on the track XO, which is really just one dubstep breakdown away from sounding like Lupe is rapping over yet another piece of overproduced EDM, which the track might as well be, especially with Troy Irons' artificially glossy vocals soaring on the hook. There are also numerous tracks on this thing that feature vocal contributions from one Nikki Jean, a singer that prior to this album I don't really think I was all that familiar with. And it's not that she comes off as a bad singer, but on nearly every track that she is featured, Lupe and his producers apply her voice in pretty much the same way. They wash it out with tons of reverb, they layer it to the point where there's a lot of psychedelic bleed, and it just sounds really messy. Granted, there are some spots on the album where this application makes sense, like on the track Down, which lyrically is a song that is filled with nautical themes. So I guess I appreciate this effort to make the song sound like it's underwater, though I do wonder how sensible it is to be rapping and singing affectionately about dolphins and the kingdom of Atlantis right after depicting slaves being subjected to a watery grave on a sinking slave ship. I get the conceptual transition that Lupe is trying to make here, but I just wonder if it really makes sense to go from a really awful and grim and dark reality to an ocean fantasy. But again, this isn't really the only song on Drogas that sounds like this. By the time the song Stronger hits, this watery, washed out, reverby vocal hook formula that Lupe has worked out with Nicky Jean is really getting tired, old, and wearing out its welcome. Even if Lupe's bars do somewhat make up for the drab instrumental sound. Now, as far as the rapping goes on this record, we all know at this point Lupe can rap, especially when he has a, a topic or a focus in mind. Every once in a while on this album, Lupe dishes out a semi-woke word salad with some good lyrical gems here and there. That's really when lyrically he's at his most underwhelming. There's also the track Stack That Cheese, which in my opinion is the musical equivalent to a faceplant. It's kind of a satirical meta number about becoming a rapper with a tedious flow, a basic beat, and, and winning bars. I get what he's trying to lampoon here and that the song sounds really tongue-in-cheek in order to make a point, uh, but while I appreciate Lupe's satire and some of the jabs he's throwing out here, in the attempt to kind of parody what he's making fun of, I, I think he's just really made an unlistenable song. All that being said though, I do love a great deal of what Lupe does on this album. The first leg of the album, from Manila to Wave Files, is incredible, and actually combines together into sort of a story and a narrative. A narrative that I wish Lupe dove into a bit further beyond the handful of tracks that he does. In fact, I think it's one of this album's greatest disappointments that Lupe breaks the streak that he has going on with this song and fractures this album into a million different directions. Still though, I do love the closing track on this thing, Mural Jr. It is a powerful finish to the album, propelled by marching drums and soaring strings. Almost sounds like an old school college dropout era Kanye track. Lupe's flow on the song is great. His delivery is really compelling. All of his lyrics kind of touch down on what seems like humanity's potential and mortality and faith. The song Imagine features a very laid back instrumental and a fat beat. This beat is fat. It's a fat as hell beat. Just had to stress that. And the song is actually a really funny, interesting trip backwards into 
Lupe's come up and his career. And despite the the lows that he has hit uh, along the way, he pretty much decides that he wouldn't change a single thing. Then I would like to point attention to the tracks Johnny Love Forever and Alan Forever. Two powerful tributes to young lives lost, one a baby girl, the other a child refugee. Both are amazingly produced. The former features a lovely vocal sample from the one and the only Soap and Skin by way of a vocal feature from another track. Uh, both songs are haunting, they're triumphant, they're gorgeous, they're sad, they're also hopeful as Lupe lyrically reimagines both of their lives as if they had lived and thought up the great things that both of these children might have gone on to do. The song Kingdom is an interesting blend of trap and reggae featuring some guest vocals from Damian Marley, as well as what sounds like a giant child chorus. Lupe lyrically tributes places like Port-au-Prince and Kingston and South Central, depicting these places as kingdoms and getting down to themes of self-preservation and the sanctity of life, specifically when it comes to the black communities that live in these areas. Damien and Lupe's vocals come together for a very powerful instrumental finish toward the end of the song with their voices layering on top of each other and building up. The song Cripple is a luscious jazz back throwback with some fantastic flows, gorgeous flute melodies from Elena Pinderhues, who you might remember as a Christian Scott collaborator, and the track Quotations from Chairman Fred is a multi-phased motivational diatribe that tries to inspire listeners not just on a personal front, but also a political and a spiritual front too. And these are just a few of many highlights on this album. Overall, I think this is yet another quality record from Lupe in what is a pretty consistent and third act of his career so far. Although I think this album could have been made better if it had been stripped back to its best moments. That being said though, for the 90 plus minutes that this thing lasts, there's not that many tracks I would disregard as total filler. Again, themes of freedom and struggle and self-preservation and racial injustice come up again and again and again on this album, but I think a lot of these stories and ideas would have had greater impact had Lupe just brought this album down to its best moments. Thankfully though, even though this record doesn't have a tight flow or a strong narrative concept running throughout all the songs, a lot of these tracks individually are pretty strong on their own. Whether or not they all connect and work together in some sort of grand fashion doesn't necessarily make or break the album, but still, it would have been nice. Feeling a light to decent seven? On this thing, transition into the next review. And it's time for a review of the new Logic album, Young Sinatra 4. This is the latest commercial release from Maryland rapper Logic, and what he says is the final installment in his Young Sinatra series, referring back to some of his earliest mixtapes and singles, Young Sinatra, Young Sinatra Undeniable, Young Sinatra 2, Young Sinatra 3. Projects and songs that are pretty boom bap centric lyrically and instrumentally throwing it back to the golden age of hip hop in the 90s. And Young Sinatra 4 pretty much follows suit in that tradition. This thing is 14 tracks, well over an hour, much longer than I would want to be listening to a Logic album, but there are just a handful of unnecessarily long songs that kind of contributed to that factor. And it's something that that I'm kind of smiling and laughing about because when it comes to Logic albums, I personally feel like I am perpetually stuck in this constant Groundhog's Day-like state. Each new Logic project is me waking up to a new day and I swear to myself each time, this time it's gonna be different. This time I'm gonna love it. This time it's gonna click. 
This time, all the positive feelings that I have toward logic will be manifested into a glowing review, but it just just does not turn out that way. And I'm not trying to say that Logic makes the same album over and over and over. I certainly don't think that. But roughly, I end up having the same feelings and experience over and over and over. And it's frustrating to feel that way generally each time because, for the most part, I like Logic. He seems like a pretty nice guy, seems like a positive dude, seems like, in a lot of respects, a breath of fresh air in mainstream hip-hop. And despite boldly wearing his very contemporary influences on his sleeve on past records, I think he's a pretty talented guy. Dude can really rap. And even though people try to deride him as corny for speaking on issues like racism and colorism and depression, I think his artistic efforts on those fronts, for the most part, have been thoughtful and with good intentions. Plus, I think his albums so far have had far greater shortcomings than his personality, his positive outlook, or whether or not he says anything about being biracial. He does have a funny bar on this record, though, talking about how since he's gone platinum, uh, he identifies as bi-coastal. I thought that was kind of a funny shot back at that whole thing. That being said, though, a great deal of the appeal of Logic's music is couched in his positive outlook, in his uh, good vibes personality. I mean, just listen to the intro track on this album, Thank You. It's not a song that I love, it's sort of a bland, spacey piece of glamorous boom bap with a bunch of general motivation bars, trying to push listeners to, I guess, be the best version of themselves and follow Logic's example in fighting for your dreams and chasing after what you want. The track is kind of predictable, but my biggest issue with it is that a great deal of its runtime is taken up with just a clip show of all of these fan voicemails just telling Logic how much they love his music, what it means to them, which if you're not inducted into the cult of Logic, it's it's probably not going to mean all that much to you. Still, though, I'm sure these fans love that inclusion. I'm sure the fans generally love this inclusion. And if you listen to what the fans are saying in these messages, it highlights exactly what I'm trying to say here. They say he's so inspirational. His music means everything to them. You show me that anyone from anywhere can be anything they want to be. And there are a few different groups of people who might see this message as a little corny. Those who are just really negative, bathe in negativity, they're just hateful dirtbags. People who understand that life can be really unfair and that maybe there are systematic oppressions at work that might prevent certain marginalized individuals from uh, achieving greatness. And people who are self-motivators who don't really need logic to throw empty platitudes at them to go out there and make the best decisions for them. Personally, I kind of fall into that last group, but I don't ultimately see Logic's positive message as being one of the biggest issues I have with his music, at least on this album anyway. If there's a graver problem I have with Young Sinatra 4, it's that the boom bap sound Logic bathes in on this record is presented in a kind of weak fashion. Logic's approach to boom bap is kind of squeaky clean. It's a neutered and toothless take on this classic East Coast style. It's far from the soulful, urban, rugged, and gruff sound that came through on records like Illmatic and 36 Chambers, Strictly Business, Ready to Die, The Infamous. This thing is like the Disneyland of boom bap records, essentially. Logic does his best to embrace the sound. He goes as far as to get every living Wu-Tang member on one track of this thing and titles it Wu-Tang Forever, which I'm sure took 
a lot of effort on Logic's part, and it is one of the somewhat better moments on the album. The beat hits pretty hard, it has some pretty exciting verses here and there, though a shockingly short one from Jizza. You God, Inspected Deck, and even Capadonna, I think, lead to a, a bit of a lull in the track. And RZA, for some reason, sounds more awkward than everybody on the song. I don't know why they wouldn't have done a, another take of his verse. He just sounds really, really off. Really, the track is more exciting in name than it is in practice. And not to say that there aren't quality tracks on this album, I think there are. The song Everybody Dies, which transitions really well into the return. These tracks are pretty much rapid-fire mixtape logic back in full form, dropping bar after bar after bar after bar about his reach, his motivation, his work ethic, his versatility, talking about modern music coverage, essentially being rap TMZ, dropping memorable bars like I had a lot of dark nights, I been Bane. So those two tracks, pretty catchy, pretty great energy, good flows from Logic. I also like the track The Glorious Five, which is a bit of a moodier, more personal number, tones it down on the instrumental a little bit. Logic rapping about his family ties and his issues with his father on this track, wishing he played a greater role in his childhood. On this song, Logic also struggles with enjoying the life that he's built for himself now and understanding that his upbringing brought him to where he is, but simultaneously wishing things had been different. I also appreciate the similarly positive message on the track One Day, but personally, the glamorous pianos and the Ryan Tedder hook on this track, it's... It's it's a little too much. Like, this is not a Macklemore album. This is not an Eminem album. This is the, the last thing I want to hear. This is glitzy to the max, and it gives me a headache. Though, when Logic said no class, like bomb threats, that's a bar. We get more sweet and peppy pop rap on the track Ordinary Day, which features a dance beat, some speedy rattling hi-hats, super artificial synth chords, a super weak singing voice from Logic at some points. This is just not a track I'm interested in at all. Really my least favorite song in the entire album. And even though at about this point on the album, I'm about to succumb to a sugar coma, I do dig the humorous tone, the funk beat, and the roadrunner flows on the track 100 Miles and Running. Even Wale on this track is pretty good. And the vocal harmonies that pop in just before his verse, strong Michael Jackson vibes coming off of that. I'm not typically somebody who is super impressed by fast rapping, but even when Logic busts his fastest flows toward the end of the track, I was like, wow. Good boy, good job, Bobby, good job, Bobby. With the title track on this thing, I can see what Logic is trying to do here, but it just feels like way too much of a rehash of Young Sinatra 3. There's so much common ground between these two tracks, right down to the Nas sample, that I just wish he went off and did something different, especially considering there's a great beat switch in the middle of the track with some fractured, jazzy piano chords, and some of Logic's best bars on the entire album as he breaks into this riddle-like verse where he is rapping from the standpoint of money, but he's not telling you he's money until the very end of that verse. Saying things like, I'm the reason the Titanic sank, I'm always there for you, yeah, when it comes down to the wire, and some people will even tuck me away until they retire. I usually come around on the 1st and the 15th. So all these little money hints and clues, the things that money does or the things people do for money, and then revealing that at the very end. Super smart, super sharp. An example of how creative and focused Logic can be as a rapper, but it's such a pivotal and interesting point in this song. It really overshadows everything else the track does. I just wish Logic pulled this section out and just made it its own track because it, it was so well executed and such a cool idea. The song 
song Street Dreams 2 was kind of all right. It's like listening to the rapt synopsis of the most intense action scene at the end of a bad blockbuster film. There's a car chase and there's police and there's gunfire and the car flips and his friend gets shot. His wife was abducted. He, he gets back to her and, and then he was the one who abducted her the whole time. Oh my God, what a twist. What? what? Horrible twist. And then at the very end of the track, Logic wakes up because it's Street Dreams. It's a, it's a dream. Uh, it, it, was, it was some real groan-worthy M. Night Shyamalan reveal type-ish. At this point on Young Sinatra 4, I think some of the songs and ideas are beginning to wear thin a little bit. The Adventures of Stony Bob is essentially a generic stoner track, and while I don't mind logic hopping onto this theme on this very bland boom-bap beat, what I do mind is just how boring and lifeless uh, all of his friends and featured guests on the track are. Like, the talent gap between Logic and these guys is very wide and very apparent as their performances on this track are pretty awkward. Though, again, I kind of get that on this thing, Logic is... Uh, even though it's a commercial album, he's in mixtape mode. He's just kind of kicking back with his friends. He's doing whatever he wants. He's indulging in the whole boom bap thing. Legacy, though, I found to be a strangely sad track where Logic lyrically goes over his work ethic and how that is kind of working against him as he is focusing more on uh, his music and his legacy than his health and his family and his loved ones. And even though the point on this track where he's rapping from the standpoint of his own son and his significant other, it, it just sounds like rushed and off the cuff and, and really bad. I do find it interesting that it seems like he's playing out his own personal issues in a different scenario uh, because of instead of, of leading a seedy lifestyle or getting addicted to drugs, he's more addicted to his own fame, his, again, legacy, his, his music, his work. The song Last Call is pretty much Logic telling his life story in relation to his come up in hip-hop music. He kicks the track off saying, hey, Kanye did it, Cole did it, I couldn't wait to do my own Last Call track. So if you're not 100% wrapped up in Logic's backstory and everything that it took for him to get to this point, then this song might kind of feel a little underwhelming for you, especially at 10 minutes in length. I know it grows tiresome for me, especially as the song essentially devolves into him telling a story about the first time in 10th grade his dad brought him to the music studio. But what I find hilarious about this track is how Logic fans will typically jump down my throat saying like, how can you say he sounds like Kendrick? How can you say he sounds like Cole? How can you say he sounds like this guy? Despite the fact that on this track, he literally admits to and says, Hey, I just like grab my ideas from these other artists who are my contemporaries, whether again, it's on this song or it's on the Mac Miller shout out earlier on the album. And look, I'm not trying to say that he sounds like Kendrick Lamar all over this record. In fact, I didn't really catch any spots where I thought he was kind of pulling off a Kendrick song or a Kendrick flow like he has in the past. But it's painfully clear that Logic listens to the artists around him. He's a fan of them. He grabs ideas from them. And sometimes the 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 stench of the artists that he's borrowing from is very clear on a particular track. I mean, you wouldn't say on Wu-Tang Forever Logic's not trying to sound like the Wu-Tang Clan. Still, though, I think Last Call is kind of a heartwarming end to an album that his most hardcore fans will most likely get a lot out of, certainly more than they did Bobby Tarantino too. I'm pretty happy for the guy. It seems like he's continuing to see a lot of success. Even though there are a few moments on this thing where Logic might seem like he's lacking in a bit of self-awareness in regards to his own fame or 
might be feeling himself a bit too much to the point where he's pretentious. Generally, he seems just sweet as pie on this record, just like a really genuine, authentic, likable dude. And this album here is kind of like the hip-hop equivalent to a self-help speech, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but at the end of the day, I just feel like Logic's music is just okay. I wouldn't say it's dumb. It's certainly not offensive. He certainly has a good baseline level of talent to execute the things that he does, but artistically, I don't think it's the most profound. And, and philosophically, I feel like that's also the case. It's just very middle-brow, I guess. I'm feeling a strong five to a light six on this one. Transition into the next review. And it's time for a review of the new Caro Caro Benito album, Time and Place. This is the second full-length album from UK pop Caro Caro Benito. It is also their polyvinyl records debut. The band, if you remember, made kind of a splash back in 2016 with their debut full-length album, Benito Generation, which was one of the most fun, bubbly, and youthful pop records of the year. Pretty diverse as well as the album incorporated elements of synth and electropop, J-pop, even hip-hop music. In a series of songs that were like these cute and heartwarming odes to growing up, moving on, moving into the next phase of your life, and adulting while trying to maintain your childlike innocence and a positive, enthusiastic outlook. Something I need, I need to, to remind, remind myself, myself of, of sometimes. So I loved the album. Instantly, the trio had become a group to look out for. But then just earlier this year, the band started to tease toward new material and a new direction with their Totep EP, a little release that saw the band embarking on some indie pop and indie rock numbers that were sort of breezy. I didn't mind the overall switch in style, but I hoped that if the band were going to continue in this direction, they would do something that was a bit more bold or brought out the, the personality that I loved hearing so much on their debut record. Now, that EP did turn out to be a bit of a taster of things to come, because on this latest record over here, Caro Caro Benito are very much drifting away from some of the J-pop and electropop influences that permeated nearly every single track on Benito Generation. And that's getting swapped out with things like alt-rock and power pop. The trio are digging into their UK roots as well and delivering some twee pop. A style that actually complements Sarah Benito's gentle voice very well. There are even some noise pop tracks and passages on this thing. However, this record is not a complete departure, as there are still quite a few synth pop numbers on this thing. Plus, the band's catchy songwriting and endearing lyrics are still very much here in spades. Some fans might react negatively to the change that Kira Kira Benito bring on this new record, but I think the shift in sound is really only skin deep, because a lot of what made Benito Generation great also holds true for time and place. The band are now just trying out some different musical styles, which I might add, they do very well. It would be one thing if they tried Twee Pop and they were just garbage at it, but they're actually not. Because miraculously, this is one of the better records I've heard in a while that embraces that style. There are quite a few standout singles on this thing, like Time Today, which features a sentimental set of keyboard chords and a sequenced swinging beat as Sarah sings longingly about how she will spend her free time that day day, getting things done, putting things off, kind of being in her feelings. A track that is very much in the spirit of a typical Caro Caro Benito song in that it is 
in a way celebrating and observing the little things in life. The song Make Believe is one of the best fusions of the band's debut album sound with some of the indie pop and rock influences on that EP that dropped earlier this year. The song pretty much feels like some very fancy free indie pop, a bit of a Bell and Sebastian vibe I would say. Some great instrumental transitions, candy coated chords, and the lyrics on this thing all about trying to maintain your innocence, your ability to make believe, but real life kind of gets in the way. The song Only Acting I read as a very smart track about performing and being an artist, having an audience. The track has a quirky little indie pop intro, but eventually explodes into some roaring alternative rock and power pop, a bit of a Weezer vibe coming off the guitars. And there are also some really insane experimental noisy transitions on this track from one section to another. Sounds that I can only begin to imagine the process of creating and the end is like this <laughs> complete sonic 15 car pileup with just noises and what sounds like maybe even samples just kind of crashing into each other. It's an absolutely freaky ending and shows that Cara Cara Benito on this record are as experimental as they are accessible. I found many of the deep cuts on this album pretty gratifying as well. The song Sometimes is a surprise lo-fi acoustic number about how life can be pretty unfair. The song is both lovely and quaint. Also great, the glistening synth pop of the track Dear Future Self. Yet another song in the band's catalog about growing learning, changing, and essentially coming to terms with that. Now, listen, I would hate to, in this review, just tediously go over every single song explaining what it says and does. But it's a little difficult to not give into that temptation because there is so much versatility and diversity on time and place. Pretty much every track sounds different, has its own personality, which I admit was a little off-putting at first, especially since the band's debut record was so clearly defined. It had such a distinct sound. And typically when a new group with a debut album breaks through with a new sound that's pretty recognizable, they stick to that going forward. This, however, just does not hold true for time and place. As the band dabbles in some instantly recognizable noise and twee pop on tracks like Fly Away and Outside. And while these musical styles are pretty tried and true and Caro Carabinito stick very closely to the blueprints of each of them, the harmonious and fuzzy and blissful synths and guitars they work into these tracks are really bright, flavorful, fun, far from bland and generic. Even if the band's intent on some of these tracks is to sound kind of easygoing. There are a few tracks in the track listing I thought were just okay, but the closest the entire album comes to delivering a dud has to be the song Dump. And the track does have some cool elements to it. I don't mind Sarah's vocals. I think the gurgling synth bass on the track is cool. The moody chords set a nice tone, but I just wish the song built up from its very meager, low-key intro just a bit more than it actually does. The song Visiting Hours sonically is a little middle of the road, and the closing song Rest Stop is almost experimental to a fault, with the instrumental at the midpoint of the song totally breaking down to the point where it essentially devolves into Sarah singing quietly against a cycling sequence drum beat. Uh, with a lot of sputtering, glitching noise and static. As unpleasant as some parts of this track are, I actually really admire the risk the band took here and, and the left hook that they pulled, the, the rug they pulled out from under everybody at the very finish of this album. Overall, I love this record. I think it's really sweet. I think it's really fun. It may be a change of pace that some fans are not ready for, that they don't want. And maybe I was even feeling that way a little bit on my initial listen, but after visiting it again and again and again, I cannot deny that this record is 
pretty much on par with Benito Generation in that it features really quality songwriting, solid performances, colorful and creative production, thoughtful lyrics, sticky melody, sweet instrumentation, and it's just really cute as hell, okay? And now all of these things that have been great about KKB are being complemented with a really noisy, somewhat experimental veneer. I'm feeling a light to decent eight on this thing. Hey buddy, did you hear the news? It's track reviews. I'm gonna be talking about the newest single from Anderson Pack, rapper, singer, songwriter, multi-instrumentalist who has been putting in quite a bit of work over the past few years. His album Malibu caused quite a bit of commotion. Also his collab with producer Knowledge Yes Lawad in 2016, turned a lot of heads too. He had a relatively quiet 2017, but it seems like he's coming back. He came out with that bubbling single a little while ago, which I thought was fantastic. Definitely one of the most uh, hilarious and (laughs) off-the-wall singles the dude has ever put out. And now he has been teasing toward a new release, a new track with Kendrick Lamar. Hopefully an album is on the way soon. I can't imagine that he would be dropping these incredible and hot tracks right now without a record around the corner. And uh, also, I, I just want to say, just because it's Anderson Pack, I, I will, in this instance, admit and say that I do not have the best teeth in the game. Anderson Pack, in fact, does have the best teeth in the game. But for any other video, it's me. Okay, but but for the purposes of this video, Anderson Pack, he does have the best teeth in the game. So I, I can be humble. All right, this new track, Tints. It's four minutes and change. Let's give it a shot. Let's see what's up. Ba-bam. Ah! Oh, my God. That was some top-notch synth funk. Move over, Jameson. Scooch, Bruno Mars. <laughs> that was good. Holy crap. The synth bass line was great. The rhythms, the grooves were fantastic. Uh, Pac was as versatile as ever as he did have verses that uh, felt more sung. There were verses where he felt like he was uh, getting into his rap flow a little bit more. The exuberance and the charisma of this track, which Kendrick Lamar contributed to greatly. Loved the chill uh, female vocals on the very tail end of the track, uh, made for a chilly, sexy ending to the whole thing. Uh, I thought maybe in the last leg, the instrumental could have used maybe a bit of a change up, some kind of bridge or something, because I, I feel like in its last moments, it didn't quite alter the return of the chorus enough to kind of keep it refreshing and, and keep it intensely groovy, but that's such a minor nitpick, such a minor nitpick. There's so many great things about this. The production is, is incredible. The synths sound great. Um, and, and it really feels like Anderson is because his, his last solo record was really all over the place stylistically. It feels like with these past couple of songs, he's really starting to distill the charisma and swagger 
and and ex- exactly the sounds and the styles that he does incredibly well and honing in on those in really exciting and creative ways this is this is great this is great this is easily one of the most fun singles i've heard this year yeah again the the Jim Kendrick Lamar uh, verse and everything I thought was uh, really charismatic. Again, a lot of swagger. I feel like Kendrick just matched the energy on this track perfectly. Came in a little bit earlier than I thought that he would have, but um, but still, uh, this is a great track. And as 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 nostalgic as it is, it doesn't it doesn't really feel stale, you know, and. and Maybe that's partially to do with this sound kind of coming back with a vengeance in a way. But uh, still, if, if you're going to kind of buy into a revivalist trend, do it, do it this well. Do it this well, please. Yeah, that was, that was fantastic. That was just so good. And I don't, I just, I'm a little just blown away by how good it is and how good the past single was too. Uh, hopefully this shapes up to be one of the best albums in this genre in a while. And I think Anderson Pack has the potential because again, his singing and rapping ability, the fact that he does have such a unique style and voice and, uh, and his personality just pops. He just pops out of a record, uh, in a way that very few other artists do. And, um, I think it's only going to be a matter of time before he does come out with that amazing, almost game changing album. Uh, while also um, really carving out uh, a spot for himself in the mainstream. And if he keeps doling out tracks like this, that's going to be a real possibility. Uh, And I I guess rather I'll say a likelihood. Um, I'm going to leave it at that. I'm going to stop just overly gushing on this track. But everything from the funny, playful, uh, swagger-filled lyrics to the tight and layered and colorful synth funk production, uh, which is very bright, bassy, vibrant, uh, and modern. Kendrick, again, sounds great. Uh, progression of the track was really good. Uh, assembled really well, assembled meticulously. Uh, I remember I did have a bit of an issue with uh, Yes Load in that um, there were some tracks that, that they didn't feel like they changed up enough, didn't have well-defined choruses and, and all that stuff, but that, that is very much not the case on this track. This has Great structure, great flow, um, great everything. I'm loving it. So, but man, I'm going to be taking on the latest song and single, Goku, from the one and the only Jaden Smith. Jaden is a rapper, a uh, a, a new millennial mind, uh, not to be too patronizing or mock the guy, uh, who has had a, a pretty meteoric rise in, in hip hop music over the past year or so with the release of his album Sire, which was pretty well received by a lot of young fans. Um, I personally did not really care for it. That's just me. However, I could see on the album that despite Jaden on a lot of tracks was really drowning in his influences, uh, he was really trying. He was really trying to do something that was deeper and more artistically significant than a lot of mainstream stuff that you 
might find out there. And to me, as long as that ambition is there, as naive as some of Jaden's efforts might come off to me, um, I do think that there is potential because Jaden, he's still a relatively young guy, a lot of time to grow, learn, gain experience and evolve as an artist. And uh, I mean, there have been plenty of artists and songs and albums over the years uh, that have uh, ended up warming up to me. And, and there's no reason that it couldn't happen in this case. So that being said, Goku is the second single from Jaden's forthcoming project, The Sunset Tapes. And uh, just looking forward to giving it a shot, seeing what's up, seeing if there's any kind of artistic change over here and uh, where he is headed next with his sound. So Jaden Smith, Goku. Uh, Ba-bam. <laughs> Okay, then. All right. Um, Listen, no matter what I say past this point, let the record show that this, uh, (laughs) this, this track made me smile. I guess, I guess I, there's no denying that it at least did that. Um, this is so ridiculous. This song is so ridiculous and not necessarily in a bad way. Not, not, not necessarily in a bad way. Um, let's start with the production. The beat on this thing is insane. It's kind of tacky, but there's something about just how over the top that it is that is enjoyable regardless. Um, I love the laser glistening synthesizers and keys on this thing. The sub bass sounds great. And of course, we have to talk about... (laughs) what's essentially like a, a like a dubstep or an EDM style like banger type breakdown uh on on the hook of this thing uh whereas the verses take on a, a bit more of a, a trap style it's it's kind of like just a fusion of dubstep EDM trap uh, really kind of all coming together in in this beat uh but it does not sound it doesn't sound nearly as tacky or as just horrendous as it could have um it's it's uh it's very decadent and uh, in your face and energized and uh, I kind of like that quality about it. You know, see, here's the thing: I don't feel like the sound of this track would be tolerable if not for the fact that it's a it's a pretty tight song. The hook is pretty catchy, as ridiculous as the line about him feeling like Goku, but his. <laughs> credit card didn't go through is not exactly seeing the, the, uh, the, the connection there, or maybe, maybe it's about just feeling like, uh, you're, you're, uh, supercharged, uh, even during moments when, uh, life is really inconvenient. Um, but I'll, I'll say this much, uh, the song definitely does deliver and pass along to the listener an energy similar to that of, you know, that old video of that kid who's like, I'm going to be super Saiyan. Ah, ah, ah. Like it, it certainly is, uh, inspiring in, in that way. <clears throat> Excuse me. I had to clear my throat cause I, I don't go super, super Saiyan often. Um, so <laughs> it certainly does have that infectious high, some aggressive, uh, swagger filled energy to it. Uh, where you almost feel invincible listening to it, which is is pretty cool. It's a pretty cool feeling. Um, the main verse of which there's pretty much only one because 
the, the track is mostly refrains, which is probably like my biggest critique of it. Like it's, it's not that lyrical, which lyrics have been kind of a shortcoming for Jaden in past efforts too. So that's not really surprising me over here, but at least as a song, it seems a little tighter and more focused, uh, when compared to some of the more underwhelming material on Sire, though stylistically Sire was kind of all over the place. So I have no predictions going that Jaden's future material is all going to sound like this. Uh, He most likely is going to be somebody who just kind of lets his artistic whims take him in whatever direction he goes. But if along the way he drops some tracks like this every once in a while, uh, that will not be that bad of a trip because I thought generally the song was pretty fun, you know? Um, if we're judging this on the standard of a straightforward trap banger with infectious lyrics that you don't need to think that deep about with some pretty funny or, uh, witty one-liners here and there in the main verse, uh, it's, it's not bad. You know, it's certainly not groundbreaking, but he definitely brings the bass, the energy, the vocal energy, uh, the loud in your face sounds, um, it's, it's all there. Uh, though again, I, I'll say that, uh, some of his lyrics and some of his jabs, some of his shots, uh, outside of some mentions of like, um, stop drinking syrup because, uh, that's why we have a day for yams, so on and so forth. Outside of moments like that, that seem like he put a little bit more thought into, Hey, I'm going to try to give a message here or something like that. Uh, just felt like, <clears throat> Hey, it's, it's just kind of general, braggadocery um and me just kind of like showing my energy level and trying to pass it off to the listener um which a lot of artists are doing these days you know you're trying to make the most hype over the top sound sound and song to get as many people as excited as possible and uh this song definitely has that potential to to do to do that because it certainly did it for me so yeah i think it's a pretty good track certainly a really catchy enjoyable banger of a track Okay, thank you guys for listening to another installment of the Needle Drop podcast. Make sure to hit up our YouTube channels, both at youtube.com slash the needle drop and youtube.com slash Fantano. Also, the needle drop.com, twitter.com slash the needle drop, and Instagram a Fantano to keep up with the latest of everything that we're doing week to week with all of our reviews, all of our content, and everything else. Shout out to Jonah who edits and assembles every episode of the Needle Drop podcast, and I will catch you guys in the next one. Anthony Fantano, reviews forever.